Hello everyone, welcome to the Four Lads Had a Dream podcast. This is a March edition. My name is Stephen Clifford and we are in unprecedented times. Um, the country um, is in a bit of lockdown at the moment and it's kind of fortunate for us because um, today I'm joined by Rangers first team goalkeeper, Mr Andy Firth. Andy, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank yourself. Yeah, as I say, this is it's, it's all a bit strange. It's uh, two o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, and um, things are just things are things are different. But it's great that you can join us. And I know a lot of people are they're craving Rangers news. We're craving Rangers content, so it'll be nice to speak to you. Not fine. Um, I'm in the uh, I'm in the same boat as they are. Yeah, it certainly is. So with that in mind, um, Andy, obviously. You're now at Rangers. You started off at Liverpool under-11s. You had spells at Chester and Barrow. We'll talk about your kind of career and your coaching badges and things in a little bit. But this really is, it's, it's unprecedented times at training. So what's happening with, with yourself now with, with regards to training and, and day-to-day things that you would normally be doing? Yeah, well, when the game got, when the old firm got cancelled on Friday, we were just told that um, everyone had a couple of days off and we were going to go back in. Uh, at the start of this week on Tuesday and then um, obviously with the SPFL cancelling the Samirin game as well that's been um, that's changed the schedule again so as it stands we're supposed to be going back in Friday and Saturday for a couple of days training um, but obviously nothing's been confirmed yet we're just waiting to waiting to see what the government do or anything like that so um, it's still fairly fairly uncertain but um, we've been given programmes by the, by the sports science staff and stuff like that just to keep ourselves fairly fit and ticking over and just trying to stay as healthy as possible. That's actually answered one of the things I was going to answer you. I ask you rather, is the club in regular contact with regards to the players and, and keeping you right physically and, and kind of mentally? Because it must be difficult because as footballers, you've got to be permanently switched on, ready to go. But there's a massive sense of uncertainty amongst obviously everybody. So how do you keep that going and keep yourself ticking over and, and in the right frame of mind to be ready to go basically at any point? Yeah, I think the physical side's easy. Um, obviously, we get given schedules to do um, bits of gym work we can do at home and obviously runs and walks and stuff we can go on. Um, it's a little bit hard because we can't really... We're trying to stay away from the training ground as much as possible just to try and stay, stay, try and stay as safe as a group. Um, and then we can't use normal gyms for obvious reasons. So it's it's really just trying to keep yourself ticking over at home where you can and keeping outside in in the fresh air and stuff just to keep your body working. And the mentality side is probably the hardest thing just because there's no set dates. So even when you get a month off in the in the off season, you know exactly when you're coming back, you know exactly what you have to do to make sure you're ready for it. But this time we this is the first time in my career and I'm pretty sure it's the first time in most careers where um where no one really knows exactly what's going on. So um so yes it is it is tough to deal with but um it's just part of the job. You've just gotta make sure you stay switched on and then hopefully as soon as this all passes over we can uh, we can all get back to work. What's the morale like amongst the boys? Because obviously um yeah you're not in a dressing room with them at the moment but there must be kind of group chats, you'll speak to, you know, I should imagine you're close to like Soflano and stuff like that. What's the morale amongst the boys and and how, how are they keeping themselves going? Is, is the break maybe a wee bit of a good thing in terms of it allows um, the players a break, 
get back switched on mentally, um, or is it is it is this just a, a sort of crazy time? Yeah, it's just, it is, you're right. It's a crazy time. It's something that we've never had to deal with before. Um, to be fair, we're all in in regular contact in the group. With um, obviously messages from the staff get put in there through through Tav, um, and there's always no matter what's going on, there's always a few jokes and a few laughs getting put in the group chat to keep us just to stay in contact with the lads and have a good laugh whenever possible. But like I said, it's just no one really knows exactly what's going on and we're all just we're all in the same boat just waiting for definite answers. But obviously we're in a we're in a situation where they're probably not going to come too soon. So we've just got to try and stay fit and healthy and and stay switched on as we can. And then whenever the call comes that we're going back into train, then make sure we're all fit and ready to do so. With that said, um, and before we, we kind of will go back to Rangers and training and that at the start, but I wanted to talk to you a wee bit about, obviously, your career. And you started at Liverpool. You joined as a number um, at the under-11s. Yeah. Who were your early influences and um, early heroes at that point? You're obviously a massive Liverpool fan. So, who was your early kind of influences and, and, and heroes at that point? Um, well, su- not surprisingly, my uh, my idol and my hero growing up was the Gaffer. So, um, being a massive red, um, everything that happened to me as a Liverpool fan was was mainly down to him. Um, all the way through from 2001 was the first season I really remember when they won the treble through to the Champions League, the FA Cup, things like that. He was the one that... Um, he was the one that, when I was just a fan before I started playing, he was the one I fell in love with and he made me love Liverpool. Um, but then as I got to know him when I was training at the first team and when he came back as an under-18s coach and I got to work with him, just how much of a great person he was and he didn't live up to the... I know a lot of people say you should never meet your idols, but he's definitely an exception to that rule just because um, everything he did on and off the pitch, he just set the example and set the set the bar so high for everyone to follow that it's just that's the that's what I always looked up to, especially when I got to know him. That he wouldn't say second best in anything, um, and he always drove the best out of himself in the team he was playing in or coaching. That's an interesting thing you bring up because I, I, I'm not surprised to hear you say it, kind of Stephen Gerrard, but I was going to ask you later, but it seems a perfect time to ask you now. It may seem silly, but um, where you kind of where. Was there a sense of like kind of being starstruck when you first worked with them, and especially now kind of at Rangers, or is that well past now? And is it just now Stephen Gerrard, the manager, is completely different to the kind of football icon that he is to everybody else? Um, bit of both. The first time I met him, we went up to the kids used to go up to Melwood to meet the first teams around Christmas and get pictures and autographs and stuff, and that was the first time I actually met him. And yeah, I was um, he was definitely the one picture and autograph I wanted. And then even the same when I first started training with him a couple of times, it was just like surreal. It just didn't feel like I was just a normal Liverpool fan, just literally living the dream. Um, but then obviously it doesn't, it'll never wear off. You some, sometimes you'll have to pinch yourself and think that the reason I play football is Steven Gerrard and he's now my boss. But um, but now I just see him as he's a good, I wouldn't say we're friends, but he's, a, he's someone who's very close to me. In the uh, in the football world, and he's done a lot for me, especially since moving me up here and stuff like that. So I'll always be grateful for him, and he'll, he will always be my idol, and he knows that. But um, at the end of the day, he's my manager now. So um, if it comes to it where he's got to give me a, a bollocking or he's got to give me a well done, and you've just got to take it like you would with every other manager. 
See, when we, when we go back and we think about your time at Liverpool Academy and growing up throughout Liverpool, who were the standouts that you played with? Because um, obviously we, we see you um, on social media and that you seem to be close to Harry Wilson, who's a, a fantastic player. Who did you play with growing up through the academy and who were the, who were the guys that really stood out? Um, I was very lucky. I was in a, in a very good youth team. and um, So, obviously, yeah, Harry Wilson was in, in my youth team. Uh, Ryan Kent, Shea Ojo, both in my youth team. Jordan Rossett was the, the captain, along with Tom Brewer, who was at Morecambe. So, for Rangers fans, there's a few names they'll know. Um, but, yeah, we were, just, we were very lucky to have just a very good youth team. And, thankfully, quite a lot of the lads have gone on and, and made themselves a good career. And, um, obviously, Raz has come up here and he's done so well. Um, Wills is in the Prem now doing doing what he's doing. Uh, Tom Brewitt's down in Leeds at Morecambe, but for a, he was a centre after the kid and he wasn't quite tall enough, or a lot of people said he wasn't tall enough. But um, now playing in midfield, and he's played 30 odd games this season. And so he's obviously done really well for himself and still in regular contact with all the boys. And it's just good to see, just good to see your mates doing well. How much did you work with Michael Beale um, as a coach um, uh, at Liverpool? I know obviously he was in Chelsea, he's done, he's went to Brazil and things, but were you coached by him at an early level as well? Yeah, I was coached by him for, he's probably the person who's coached me the most in my career. So when he first joined from Chelsea, he came and took over the under-16s, which was my age group. Um, so I got a year at 16s with him. Um, I then did a year and a half with the 18s with a different manager and then I moved up to the reserves and that's where Bealsy was by that time. So, And then I had about three years in the residence with Bealsy. So looking at probably best part of four, four and a half seasons with him. And then obviously the last year or so at Rangers, I've had him again. So um, Bealsy's been brilliant for me. Um, same as the gaffer, he's given, me the, he's given me the kick up the arse when I needed it. He's given me the bollockings when I needed it. He's given me the the praise and the high fives and looked after me when I needed him to. So um, on the pitch, I don't think there's, I'd say he's the best coach I've worked with easily. Um, but off the pitch, he's a, he's a great fella. He's always asking about my mum and dad and sister's girlfriend and things like that. He's always, um, he's a great person as well, which obviously helps to, to build good relationships with. Yeah, Michael, um, as somebody that's always been very good with uh, myself, if I've got a question or, or something, um, I'm not I, I'm not somebody that understands tactics and things so much. I'm more of a, a kind of just a normal guy that sits in the crowd and things, but I always like to read what Michael's got to say um, and, and the things that he does with his with his blogs and things like that. Yeah, and That leads me to, to ask you, Andy, you have your coaching badges, is that right? And how did that come about at such an early age? Yeah, so um, when you're part of a... So in, in England, if you're a scholar, you have to do your FA level one, which is like the basic grassroots, like under 10, something like that. So um, we had to do that with our scholars. Um, and then a couple of us wanted to just carry on doing them. So I think it ended up being... It was me, Brew, Jordan Rossiter and Connor Randall ended up doing our level two the year after just to get that done. Um, found it interesting really enjoyed doing the coaching um, and then the opportunity came this summer after at the end of the season that we could go and do our B licence uh, so me and Tom Brew went down and did that uh, we did two weeks a two week crash course with the PFA just to to get them rattled off so managed to get my UEFA B licence and then the summer after I did my goalkeeping B licence um, so that's all I've got up to at the moment but obviously that um, 
puts me in good stead. And uh, I always remember that the gaffer did his part of his B license with us at the academy, and I just remember him saying, like, if you can get them done, just get them done, because now I'm 36, 37, whatever he was at the time. Uh, I've got three kids, but I still I want to be a manager. I want to be a coach, so I need to get these done. And if I look back now, I wish I could have done them when I was 17, 18, 19. I had all the time in the world, no responsibilities, and just all the time to get the coaching qualifications done and actually go and coach bits and bobs wherever I could. So um, that obviously stuck with me and Brew, and we just wanted to get them all rattled off as soon as we could. Still got our, we're still in contact now, so I'm always speaking to Brew every day. So the, the plan is he's going to be the manager now, be a goalie coach somewhere in, in 20 odd years' time. But yes, we want to get our A licenses done um, at some point, and then that's pretty much as far as we can go. So it's just something we're both. We've all, both always been leaders in, in different ways, but uh, I just feel like um, I've always wanted to go into coaching. That's always been my backup plan if the football didn't work or when the football stopped. So that's where, uh, that's where I see myself after football or after the playing, I should say. That's, um, it's, it's unusual that um, a, a player at such an early age, because you're very much still a baby in terms of your football career, and, and especially as a goalkeeper, because goalkeepers tend to peak and and play longer than than others. But you know, we we've had we spoke to Dean Shields um, last month, who was he's he's really close to Stephen Davis. Um, Stephen Davis is, is obviously coming now towards his kind of um, his latter years in his career, and he hasn't thought about his coaching badges yet. So yeah. it's certainly interesting to see you've done that. But it's also it's I suppose it gives you that security as well as, as something didn't did happen or didn't work out. So it's interesting, um, certainly. But going back to your, your kind of football career, um, pre-Rangers, obviously, January, you've had first-team football at Chester yeah. and Barrow. How much did you enjoy that and how and how much experience has that given you um, at an early age going forward? Oh, massive. That was... Um, I went on low... My first ever loan was at Witten Albion. So they're in the... When I went there, they were in the eighth tier of English football. So they were... Three, three levels below the conference, and I was only 18 at the time. But um, just going there and playing men's footy for I was there for three months, played about 15, 20 games, and just like it really opened my eyes up. Where academy football is all about playing nice football and looking pretty and good technical players, and then I got thrown into a room full of 20 blokes, and no one really cares about how you win. It's just go and win don't care if it's pretty ugly there's a fight it doesn't matter what happens as long as as long as you get a good result then that's all that's all that level was about and then um so that really opened my eyes to it and then when I got the chance to go to Chester and um, during a bit of a financial crisis at the time so um Liverpool offered to send me there for free so um I managed to go there for three months and I think I played about 20 20 odd games for them as well just it was brilliant for me, obviously stepping up a few divisions and um I just really got the really got the knack of just playing week in, week out, playing Saturday, Tuesday and things like that, which I hadn't done since I was at Witten because of injuries and not being picked and things like that. So it was good for me just to get up a couple of levels into the conference and then um and then at the end of that season, uh I signed another year at Liverpool and then Barrow came in and asked to take me there. So um Liverpool were were brilliant and just let me let me tear up the contract and walk out on a free to borrow and then ended up there for six months and played best part of 20 games as well so 
that year for me was was brilliant. The six months at Chester and the six months at Barrow just it was good because I got I wasn't playing at the start at Chester, managed to get in the team, played well, went to Barrow and had the opposite. I was playing at the start of the season and then the manager decided to drop me and play someone else. So I had the chance of uh, looking back now, it was good to see how I handled being on the bench and working hard to get my place. And then the other way, going to Barrow, the team, and not doing too well and managed to get, well, I got dropped from the manager and the other keeper starts playing. So for me, that was vital experience going from a number two to a number one and then at the next club, going from a number one to a number two. So um I feel like it's been great experience. Got um got plenty of men's games under my belt over the years, so um, I think that stood me in good stead. Is that something that you've um, been able to pass on in the likes of when you played with the Colts this season? Um, is that like being in a, a kind of a men's environment like that at a young age from the academy? Is that the kind of advice and and the, the the kind of experiences that you have been able to pass on to the younger guys coming through? Yeah, massively. Um, I try to I try to lead by example whenever I can, and obviously I played in the Inverness game up in up there in the Colts semi final, and um, I just remember saying to the lads at half time, "It doesn't matter how ugly how ugly we are, how pretty we are, we have to win this game." No one remembers teams that that get to semi finals and lose, or get to finals and lose. You've just got to to find a way to win these games. Um, obviously, we didn't quite get the result in the end, and. Um, I said to the lads after the game, look, you've just got to use it as experience because we were the much better team. We played all the nice football. We had the better chances and things like that. But at the end of the day, we couldn't take our chance and, and they won the game. So I'm, I'm very cynical in the fact that I'd much rather play horrible football and ugly football and win than play pretty football and, and not get anything out of it. So obviously there is a, there is a balance in the, in the middle of it. But, um, but yeah. I think that's just—it's hard to explain the—it's um, hard to explain the men's environment until the lads actually go out and do it themselves. Um, so I think the gaffer's massive on loans, and so is Bailey. Just getting the lads out of the the youth teams and the resies whenever they're ready, and then getting them into proper men's football. We go back again um, to January two thousand and nineteen, and Rangers come calling. Um, how? How big was that for you and how did that all come about? Yeah, it was just um, just bizarre, really. Obviously, I was still in contact with, with the lads who were up here and the staff and things like that, um, but never really expected anything to happen. Um, and then got a call from my agent just in between Christmas and New Year in 2018, just saying that um, he'd had a phone call from Rangers and they're looking for a looking for a keeper in January potentially would you be interested and it was a fairly um it was a fairly easy answer I was out of favour at Barrow at the time and I just thought I could the choice was I can either stay here and fight for my place at Barrow or I can and get myself up to Rangers and um it was a bit of a no-brainer I love my time at Barrow and got a lot of time for the, the players and the staff and they're obviously doing so well this year but um I just thought at the time the the no-brainer was to to move up to Scotland and it was a chance for me to live on my own for the first time, move out and get my own place and things like that. And I just feel like it's helped me grow up a lot. Um, so, yeah, I had a, so I spoke to my mum and dad and they were on holiday at the time and I told them what was happening. And they were, um, they've never told me to do anything, but yeah, I could tell by my dad's voice that 
he was fairly interested in getting me to Rangers as soon as possible. And then thankfully it all worked out and Robbie McCrory went on loan and I signed here the day after. What did you know about uh, Rangers and about the club uh, before you, you came up? And has the, the size of the club and the expectations and things been a surprise to you in any way? Looking back, I grew up with a lad at Liverpool called uh, Ryan Fulton. He's at Hamilton now. Um, and he's a massive, massive Rangers fan. So uh, I remember him telling me all about all the history behind the club and things like that and the, the players they had in the in the 90s and the early 2000s when they were flying. Um, so looking back, he's taught me probably more than anyone has before I signed here. Um, but then you still don't expect the club to be as, as big as it is until you actually get here and you feel it and you see in the city. Obviously, everyone knows about the old firm rivalry, but um, until you're actually involved or until you're actually in the city, especially on old firm day, and you can see the build-up to the game and the hatred and the rivalry between the fans, it's, um, yeah, it definitely, it's still, I knew, well, I thought I knew what I was expecting, but it definitely still took me by surprise a bit, just how big the rivalry is how big and historic both clubs are and just how fierce it is in the city. You know, obviously, we, we've touched upon it and um, obviously, to be expected, you're a huge Liverpool fan. Do you consider yourself now um, to be a huge Rangers fan as well? Because the reason I ask is every time we see you and uh, every time um, we kind of speak, you've always got a smile on your face. You always look like you're enjoying it. Um, you, your celebrations at Celtic Park um, late December, and all that, they were all fantastic. The fans loved it. You've become a bit of a cult hero, if that's a, a kind of strange thing to say, just by because we love how much you love it, if that makes sense. Is that a fair kind of comment to make? Yeah, it's, um, it's not an act. It's not fake. It's just, it's easy for me because there's a lot of people that, when I was still down south looking at uh, playing for Barrow and looking up, across the border. I always wanted Rangers to do well just for the manager, the staff, the lads I knew up here. Um, so in a way, that's still the same. Just I love seeing people I like and I look up to do really well. So, And now now I'm here, that still goes on hand in hand. I still want the manager to be successful. still want the staff to be successful, the players. Now I'm obviously mates with the full squad and things like that. And I'm here. Um, there's no better feeling. And that is right up there with my career highlights and I wasn't even on the bench just being at Parkhead that day and and just sprinting over to Raz when the whistle goes and picking him up it was just the just the outpour of emotion was it was surreal and yeah it wasn't I, I do get a lot of tweets people saying sometimes it's fake or sometimes it's amazing and people can have their own opinions on it but I'll quite happily do all that over again. So what is it like in a, a day in the life um, at Rangers at the training ground? How do, you know what time do you go in? How does it start? What kind of training without giving away anything that you shouldn't? But what how how long do you train in for? And who do you work with? And for somebody that would be listening that didn't know anything about the day in the life of, of Andy Firth, what what can you tell the the fans about a normal day at the training ground? To be fair, whichever club I've been at, it's always been very similar. Um, even at Liverpool, Barrow, Chester, now Rangers. Um, I think all-time football's pretty much the same. It's usually a 9, 9.30 report for a half, 10, 11 training, something like that. So you'll go in in the morning, get changed, get your breakfast. Um, then you'll have bits of gym to do before training. Um, depending how close a game is, sometimes you'll have a meeting before training about how the opposition are going to play or how we're going to play. Uh, different tweaks in style we might do or they might do. And then, 
it's just straight on the pitch. Um, obviously, because we have that many games with uh, with different cup competitions in Europa League and stuff, there isn't a lot of time for long training sessions on the pitch because of people on recovery from the night before or preparing for a game the next day. So um, sessions are quite short and sharp when the games are stacked up on top of each other. But um, I think that's where the, the stuff in the meeting rooms comes into play with the, the tactical stuff. Sometimes you don't need to be on the pitch. You can just walk through it in the in the indoor hall or you can just put the pictures out on the on the slides for the lads to see and have a chat about it before before games and then the debriefs as well. So when we ever have debriefs of a game, it's just looking back at what we've done, what we've done well, what we've not done well. Um, I think that's that makes up for the time we don't get on the pitch because of the amount of games we have. Looking at it a wee bit more, um, and, and kind of from a fan's point of view, who's yeah. the, the the main um, figures in the dressing room, and, and who's the who's the guys that um, are, are maybe maybe it's a, long, a wrong expression, but who's who's the loudest and who's the, the driving forces in the dressing room that, that push everybody on um, during training and in match days and things? I think they're fairly self-explanatory. Um, for me, I love Greaves. I've, I've looked up to him since I've been here and he's been brilliant for me on and off the pitch. And Greaves is the main one because I spend most time with him. He, he just drives the best out of the lads every day and you can always hear him shouting. And I know I'm a big shouter as well, but so Greaves, he loves just shouting at the lads and getting them getting them into speed and things like that. And you can see that on a match day. He's a, he's a big person who, who likes to lead. I think Connor's a brilliant leader. Tav's obviously the captain. He's a, a good leader. You just need to... I think that's what the team needs. You just need leaders and especially people with experience like Davo and, and Griggs. I know Davo's not the most vocal, but he was like the gaffy leads by example. He's always always on time, always working hard and training. He's doing everything to the best of his ability. And I think that's what the rest of the people the rest of the lads have to look up to there. Davo's been around for years, Griggs has been around for years. JD's another massive one. Obviously the career he's had and still doing it at 37, 38. Like you have to look up to the people that have been there and done it for lads like myself who who haven't had the career that they've had. You can only take take inspiration and guidance from what they've done and looking at them at, at the end of their career and how hard they still work and how professional they still are. Um, I think that's what I think that's what's good about the place. We've got a lot of younger lads who are starting. We've got lads in the middle who are kind of getting in the peak of the careers, and then you've got lads like. Greasy Davo and, and JD were obviously at the end, but they're still producing, still producing the goods for us this season, even at the ages they all are. Something I wanted to ask you, um, obviously as a goalkeeper yourself, um, is about Alan McGregor. We've obviously known Alan. Um, he grew up um, as part of, of Rangers and things like that. He, he then went away and came back. How highly do you rate Alan McGregor and how good do you think he is? So I had the chance to meet Greaves when... So I was at Liverpool and went on a youth loan to Hull when I was 18. Um, so I spent two weeks over in Hull and was training with Greaves then. Um, and because I wasn't really part of the team, like we weren't that close. We spoke a little bits and here, little bits here and there, but not too much. But then when I got the chance to move up here and work with him full-time and get to know him a lot more on and off the pitch. He's been he's been brilliant. I Hand on heart, say he's the best keeper I've worked with as a person and as a goalkeeper. He's just, to do what he's doing at 38 is, is ridiculous. The amount of big saves he's produced this season and since I've been here for, for the last 18 months, I just, I can't think of any goals where he's 
dropped absolute clangers. But the amount of world-class saves he's pulled off time and time again, especially, I think especially in Europe where the level goes up even more and you need your keepers to, to be the hero sometimes. I think, look at some of his performances this year in the Europa League run with bad. He's been just absolutely incredible, especially for, and at 38 years old, still doing that. Um, I can't speak highly enough of him. And he's looked after me so much on and off the pitch and got a really good relationship with him. And it's just good to see him still doing as well as he is at, at the age he is. How difficult is it for you? Um, because obviously you want to play, you want to be first team, but are you happy at the moment learning from from Alan um, and then ready to take your chance in the future? Is that the way you're kind of looking at it at the moment? Yeah, it's like you said before, I'm still in goalkeeping years. I'm still young. Obviously, Greasy's got 15 years on me. So that's still in a football career. That's a long time. Um, so I've just got to be patient and, and buy me chance. Um, obviously got my experience at Barrow playing. Um, but the thing that wasn't too great about Barrow at the time, they didn't have a goalkeeper coach and neither did Chester. So I wasn't actually doing a lot of goalkeeping training, which probably held me back a bit. But then obviously the playing helped. So it's just finding the right balance. And I just thought the chance to come up here, work with obviously Greasy and Wes, um, and then work with a full-time goalie coach again and knowing I'm a third-choice keeper and I'm not going to play too many games. Um, it just gives me a lot of time on the training pitch where I can I can work on everything I need to and gives me a lot of time to get in the gym, things like that. I felt like I needed to start getting stronger and actually turn into a man. I feel like at the time that was the perfect answer, just come to Rangers. Um, you're not playing every weekend, so you've got loads of time to batter yourself in the gym, batter yourself on the pitch. Um, and just keep gaining them little 1% here and there that are going to make you a better keeper. Obviously, I want to be the number one, but I'm realistic. I know at the moment I've got two very good keepers um, who I learn a lot from because they're so different. But um, at the end of the day, I want to be the number one, but I, I'm also very realistic in the fact that at the moment, them two goalkeepers are, are very, very good. Finally, just as we kind of... Um... Can I get towards the end of this podcast? Um, something I wanted to ask you. The dynamic at, at Rangers and the management um, between Stephen Gerrard, Gary McAllister, Michael Beale on paper, it seems to be really well and, and really work well. Obviously, Gary Mack, again, um, a Liverpool legend, um, very much a Scottish legend as well. Uh, one of my heroes actually growing up, Gary McAllister. And I was delighted a couple of years ago, I got to referee him in a charity <laughs> thing. And um, yeah. I just said to him at the start, I said, Gary, you can do whatever you want during this game. You want a foul, you want to dive, you want to tell me when you get a free kick, just do it. And he's a really great guy. But yeah. for you, what what kind of, what's the balance like in the dress room? Because what we like to know and the fans like to find out is, is there times where, you know, it's the old hairdryer treatment as a, you know, who's the, where's the balance and where they come from? Without, without obviously divulging too much, what are they like in the dressing room, particularly at times where things are good and times that are bad? What are they like? I think that's the good thing about them. So, um, obviously, Gary Max been around a few few years more than the gaffer and played a lot more, played in a lot more old school teams. Um, the gaffers, the other first team coach, Tom Coleshaw, he was at Liverpool in the kidneys. He's very old school. Um, but I think that's good. Beals is the most, I'd say he's the most modern as in like tactics and things like that. But they've all got the ability to to throw the hairdryer when they need to and 
give lads a give lads a roasting when they need one and but then they're also there when if you need an arm around your shoulder, if you need little one to one things like that, then they've got the ability between them to, to do that. Um obviously when it's going well, it's really easy. I think you find out who the best managers are when things are things aren't going so well, how they act with the lads, um, how they treat. Like sometimes if you lose a game there's not a lot you can do. But sometimes when it's an awful performance and you win then you also need to look at we won but why did we perform why didn't we put why didn't we play the way we should play um, and to be fair to them I think they do it really well um, it's, it is very hard I think obviously at Rangers you're expected to win every game no matter what um, so finding the balance between results and performances is, is sometimes hard but I think that's good because they always want us to perform at the best and then Usually, when you're performing well, the results take care of themselves. Finally, um, I like to ask this question. We don't, we don't. I've, I've never been able to speak to um, a, a current first team player, so this is about a treat for everybody that listens to the podcast and thinks. So, one of um, legends of Rangers is Jimmy Bell. Uh, <laughs> um, he's been with the club for so many years, and he's he's got a persona of. A character of like you know Mr. Grumpy, Mr. Serious, and things like that. But when you meet Jimmy, I've, I've certainly met Jimmy a few times. Um, I've been in his room at the training ground, and he's a fascinating character, a really, really good guy. But it's funny people ask, and um, after maybe a bad result, you know, wonder what Jimmy Bale's thinking and things like that. How does Jimmy players, and how do you get on with him? Jimmy's amazing. He's um, he's an absolute legend. I've got all the time in the world for him. He's just when I first went there, um, I'd obviously heard a few stories about him and stuff like that. And I remember on my first day, I walked in and I wanted a, an underarm, like a tight top for training. And he just looked at me and snarled me and went, you don't need one of them, you're all right. And I was like, oh my God, here we go. And then it took like a couple of weeks just to like break him down a little bit and getting his good books. And then since then, we've just been flying his, um, his top draw. His, but you can tell if, we, if we'd been beat the night before, just avoid him because he'll be he'll be sad he'll be annoyed he'll be angry just he's a fan um but then when we're on top of the world and we're winning he's the one who's bouncing bouncing off the walls around the place smiling cracking all the jokes um but he's, he's a he's a top fella i can't speak highly enough of him and uh that, that's my favorite picture at range is that the one where i signed my new deal and i had to go and get my shirt off jimmy after one of the games and got a picture and i was made up it was um yeah, he's a top, top fella. I think you need characters like that at football clubs, and he's certainly um, our one. Um, somebody that's that's loved universally by all the, the support and things like that. Um, yeah. It's it's nice to it's nice to see the rapport. Um, <clears throat> I work with an old Rangers goalie called Mark Brown, and, yeah. he, and he speaks and tells some funny stories of Jimmy. Similar to you, actually, the very first time I had to go and ask him for kit, and it was basically, you know, snarled and growled at, and away he goes. And and it's just, it's typical of what you kind of say and things. But I know that um, this is stuff that, that fans love to hear. I love hearing stuff like this. And, um, no, especially... he is the best. He's the, he is the biggest legend at Rangers that I think you could ever meet. He's unbelievable. Just the, the best thing you could do, is just go and have a brew with Jimmy in an afternoon after training. And just, you don't have, you don't have to speak. You just sit there and listen to him and he'll have his stories about, about Gaza, McCoys, whoever it is, he's he's got stories for you, and they're all just they are brilliant. I've told him he needs to become an afternoon speaker or write an autobiography or stuff because it'd be a bestseller. Yeah, I think the amount of um, 
gigs that, that Jimmy would get. I would love to have Jimmy on the podcast. He would be incredible. Oh, um, be, yeah. Yeah, his stories would be something else. But Andy, listen, we're, we're kind of at the end of the podcast. One thing I wanted to ask you is your plans for the downtime. Um, what what you watch? What's your box sets? What's your, your gaming? What's your plans for these uh, these kind of days? To be honest, I'm not much of a not much of a box set guy. I don't really do too much on the telly. If I'm watching telly, it's usually because there's some footy on I can watch somewhere. So um, at the moment, it's just Xbox 24/7 really. Um, usually every day, me, Harry Wilson, Tom Brewitt, the boys just get on the Xbox and I think I was on there for about ten hours yesterday. Just <laughs> just filling time wherever I could. So yeah, I'm definitely a Fortnite guy rather than a box set guy. Never played it. Never. I've got young <laughs> children, so my gaming time is very limited. Uh, I'm more of a, a, a football manager guy when I get the chance. But um, Andy Lawson, thanks very much for joining us on the Four Lads of Dream podcast. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you. And um, I know that everybody will enjoy it um, because we're, we're obviously, we're just, we're craving some news. We're craving, you know, our kind of Rangers, no matter what goes on with the club, it's, it's very much a way of life for everybody in terms yeah. of, of our lives and, and such a massive part. So great to speak to you. Thanks for joining us. And we wish you obviously all the best for the rest of the season, if it does happen or the pre-season, but the, the immediate future anyway, it's also good to that you've signed your new deal and you'll be with us. So thanks for joining us again and all the best. Perfect. Thanks for having me. So that kind of wraps up our March edition of the Four Lads of Dream podcast. A massive thank you to Andy Firth for joining us. It was a real treat to have um, one of the first team players join us. For everybody else, um, we continue to, I'll be writing blogs, I'll be trying to keep you updated with what's currently going on at the club um, as best we can. And we put I put out a blog this morning that gives it the true updates of investment and our new head of communications and the, the club's current position with the SPFL. So give that a wee read and that's exactly where we are. Um, thanks to our sponsors, um, the Kerry's Crazy Costumes and um, the Kitchen Boys. They are fantastic. They give us the money to get these things edited and put them on and help us support um, the Rangers Youth Development Company. So, as again, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you to Andy Firth. I had a great time speaking to Andy, um, even the wee stories about Jimmy Bell and that make it all worthwhile. Andy's a top lad. We wish him all the best for him, his Rangers career and his career in general, which we hope obviously is with the club in the future. Um, to everybody else, the message obviously is always clear. Uh, we hope that you'll support the blog and support the website and come and have a look at us on Jersey as well. Until then, everybody, thanks for joining us. Please ignore the nonsense, the irrelevant and the noise. Thank you. <laughs>